0: Hello, I am J.R. Everhart from Restoration Ministries. I am your host here at the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. This is week five that we uh, continue to move forward with our study into uh, John Baker's Life's Healing Choices book. Uh, This has been a powerful, powerful uh, program that I've been teaching on Sunday afternoons with some uh, some of my guys from Celebrate Recovery. Uh, And this week is choice five. And this is a powerful lesson. It's a little long, but it is worth every bit of information that I'm going to throw at you here today. So uh, don't run off. Get comfortable. And I'll be right back in about 60 seconds. I want to talk to you guys for a second about my company, COP Audio. Cop Audio is your one-stop source for mobile audio and lighting, as well as a host of other services. Uh, we can handle everything from large outdoor concerts to small club-type shows or even DJing your wedding or company picnic. Uh, we also work with local and regional government for public address events and summer community concert series-type stuff. We also do event planning and band booking, as well as audio install work at your local church or high school. You'll find tons of information online about us on both Instagram and Facebook. When you go to our Facebook page, make sure that you read our reviews from our clients. You can also find us uh, by just calling me or texting us, uh, 304-676-8811, 304-676-8811. You can also email me at um, jr.clpaudio at gmail.com. That's jr.clpaudio at gmail.com. CLP Audio has a long success record with dozens of bands, churches, and event venues all around the Mid-Atlantic. Again, find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching CLP Audio or call 304-676-8811. That's 304-676-8811. All right, and welcome back. Um, let see, we are in week five here of uh john baker's life's healing choices revised and updated freedom from your hurts hangouts and hang-ups and habits you'll have to excuse (laughs) excuse my my flawed speech here tonight i've really been struggling with a lot of allergies and haven't had enough rest and been working too much and you know all that kind of crazy stuff so uh God's grace is sufficient. So pray for me as we go through this. There's a lot of information to cover in this chapter. I got an enormous amount of um, good stuff, growth and healing through this uh, this chapter of the book. You know, this principle five, voluntarily submit to every change God wants to uh, make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects Uh, I believe this covers step five and six in the 12 steps. Uh, The beatitude that supports this principle is happier those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. So uh, the transformation choice, Um, the chapter opens up with a uh, illustration about uh, remodeling your house and how we never really want to do that because of the mess that it makes in our day-to-day life and the expense that it is and buying the materials to do it with and paying someone to pretty much rip your your home life apart and rebuild it in a better way. But it's a great illustration as to what this choice is asking us to do in making changes in our life. Um, I guess the first thing we need to ask ourselves is... um, where do our character defects come from? Uh, character defects come from three sources they're biological, sociological, and theo- theological. <laughs> Again, I can barely speak the language today. Um, We'll examine these three sources through our chromosomes, our circumstances, and our choice. I'm going to spend this podcast, and like I say, with all these podcasts, this is not a replacement for actually taking this course in a legit format through Celebrate Recovery with someone like me who's been through this many times and is a leader and got sober time under their belt, and you know is trained and equipped to be able to guide people through this thing. Um, this is just a a 20 or 25-minute, maybe 30-minute synopsis. Uh, Our meeting today took, I think it was two hours and 15 minutes, and there was uh, five of us, myself included. So this was a deep, deep uh, lesson. We probably will not get to any of the questions in the small group study guide uh, tonight or um, dig too deep into the testimony, although there is. I I know I usually don't do testimonies in the podcast parts of this, but there's something in uh, Sabrina's testimony that supports this principle in this chapter that I think is very, very important. Uh, So I will be bringing that to the table. So number one, our chromosomes. This is basically speaking to the idea of what we inherit in our gene pool and what is kind of passed down to us physically. Um, We call this a predisposition. Uh, I'm going to read you some of the highlighted things that I have uh, from the chapter, so we're not here for six hours. Uh, uh, This predisposition doesn't give us an excuse to act out inappropriately. You know, that really is the basic, you know, long and short of these couple paragraphs. Uh, Our genetics, uh, our own nature uh, contribute to the character defects, and while they don't provide us with excuses. They do provide us with some understanding. So just like your your medical doctor um, gleams information from... Your family history like if cancer runs in your family or if you know some kind of you know illness runs in your family uh, that gives us some information into how to combat that in our day-to-day life it, it may be you know he may tell us to change our diet he may tell us to you know exercise a certain amount he may put us on certain medications that counteract some of that stuff when it starts rearing its ugly head and that's basically what we're doing with life sealing choices is we're we're learning how to counteract the things that we were kind of born with Um, the next one is our circumstances this is basically talking about the impact our environment had on us um, and how we were raised the things that we dealt with as children that sort of thing Um, we developed certain patterns and habits many of them were attempts to protect ourselves uh, to handle hurt or rejection, or to learn how to cope with uh, trauma or some sort of abuse from our childhood. I will read word for word the the main paragraph of this section because I thought it was powerful. The truth is many of our current character defects are actually self-defeating attempts to satisfy our unmet needs. Um, You have a legitimate need for respect. If you didn't get respect early in life uh, or don't feel you have it now, you may settle for attention instead uh you figured out how to get attention in various ways some positive some negative um that these three things they're mentioning in this circumstances thing is respect love and security that is the respect portion of that really speaks to me because you know i think we all want to be respected to some degree or another uh, even by our parents growing up you know and uh when we didn't get that respect or if we don't get that respect now you know we tend to be the class clown we tend to be you know overly extrovert trying to overcompensate um for our lack of validation and our lack of you know what we feel to be respect and we've learned that that attention you know that we do through being the class clown and that kind of stuff the life of the party. Um, you know brings brings some some attention to us it, it brings things to us and kind of in a sick way tries to meet that need of, of being respected and validated. Uh, you also have a legitimate need for love. If you didn't get love, you needed as a child or perhaps you still feel unloved. Uh, you may have learned to settle for superficial relationships or one night stands. Man, I can definitely speak to that that you know I definitely did not feel, Uh, the unconditional love or you know um, emotional validation that I think um, most children you know desire as a kid I was 11 of 12 kids so there just wasn't by the time they got to us there wasn't a whole lot left over Um, and my parents really struggled in that sense anyways so you know I I grew up trying to find that that uh, that love and acceptance through superficial relationships and one night stands. I was the guy that kind of jumped from one relationship to another. You know, I felt that I was very, um, very empty. If I wasn't inside of a romantic relationship with a woman, um, praise God. I've, I've since come to a, a, a revelation in my life. This lesson was kind of the icing on the cake for that. You know, God's been teaching me through this season of my life that, uh, validated through him and the things we're going to talk about from sabrina's testimony later on here will reinforce that idea the other thing is you also have a need for security Uh, but if you grew up in an insecure environment or or, are in one now uh, you may be seeking security through an accumulation of possessions I know a whole lot of people, we got a couple guys in our program that really struggle with compulsive spending. I have been down that road myself. You know, sometimes we feel like we got to just nest possessions around us and that gives us some sense of security. Um, A lack of security will also ignite codependency and control issues. You know, we want to control all the people around us so that we give ourselves some kind of sick sense of security because we're in control our circumstances past and present help us understand the character defects that haunt us today and then the third is our choices uh, the, the choices you make are the most significant source of your character defects because you are the one th- it is the one thing that you can control in all this you can't control your chromosomes and and your dna and your gene pool and the things that was your pre to make up your predisposition you couldn't control your environment you grew up in, you know, and that sort of thing. But you can control your ability to choose. Uh, with God's power, um, we can change the choices that we make moving forward. Uh, and I have highlighted our choices may have been influenced by our chromosomes or circumstances in the past. But ultimately, we are responsible for the choices we make. I always say we live by the choices we make, you know, um, There's a whole other podcast I can do on the idea of addiction as a disease in the face of our ability to choose, but that's another 30-minute, you know, synopsis of a conversation we can have about that later. Um, Why does it take so long to get rid of our character defects? That is the next section here, and I think that's a great question. Um, And there is, is this the seven or... No, this is four. There are four reasons why that is Uh, because we've had them for so long. Uh, That's number one. Number two is because we confuse our defects with our identity. Yeah, I think those two kind of couple with each other because I know for me, I had a lot of the things that were really slipping me up and got me into recovery in the first place. It's stuff that I had been doing since you know as far back as I can remember. They were things that you know that go way back into my childhood. They were addictions and compulsions that were controlling my life in my early teens and things like that. Um, so, you know, sometimes they, it, that can feel like an old pair of shoes. You know, they they may have holes in them and you may get your feet wet, but you hang on to them because you're used to them. You know, um, and then the next level of that is. We tend to confuse those defects with our identity. You know, many of us grew up with parents who told us that we were going to be a drug addict, or we were going to be an alcoholic, or we were going to be, you know, an angry person, or we were going to be someone who struggled with codependency. Um, And those are negative things uh, that can that can help you feel like, well, that's my identity, and I'm never going to change because of those things. Sometimes we so closely identify ourselves by our defects that we worry if I let this go, then what will I be? What will be left of me? Um, this has been part of me for so long. Who will I be if I ask God to remove it? That might sound silly to some of you guys, but that was a valid thing for me when I when I got into recovery and started working the steps and really got involved um, in in growing and in going through the step study process and all that and started peeling those layers of, of you know, dysfunction off of me it was weird, man. It was, even walking in early victory over some of this stuff was uncomfortable because it was completely foreign. It was like a culture shock. It was completely foreign to where I was. Not being a failure all the time was foreign to me. You know, I it took me a while to get used to that because I just expected everything to blow up on my, in my face like it always had. You know, but it's like I always say, and I mean, this is a kind of a bumper sticker you know, saying that we have inside of many recovery groups is, you know, recovery delivers what addiction promises. So when you decide to step outside of, of these things that have been messing you up, you got to just kind of walk by faith and trust that God is going to re-identify you in in his truth through his word. And uh, again, that process was a little uncomfortable walking through it, but man, I'm so glad that, you know, I'm, I, I'm where I am now. I wouldn't trade anything for the stuff that I've I've learned. It's been a rough road, but at the same time, I'm a much better person because of it. Number three is because every defect has a payoff, and basically, what that means is when you decide to to get high, the payoff is you get high. You know, if you're an alcoholic and you drink, the payoff is you get drunk and you forget your problems for a couple hours. You know, we kind of get attached to that you know, to that idea. And you'd be surprised how we condition our environments and the people around us to support that, you know, out of huge amounts of dysfunction or anger. Many people use anger to control people. Many people have huge personalities. I, I definitely fall into that category with a huge, overwhelming personality to a point to where no one wants to challenge me because they really don't want to deal with angry Jr. And, um all that was was a tactic to keep people off my back so I could just do whatever I wanted to do, you know? Um, so yeah. So, you know, every defect has a payoff and sometimes we get addicted to that self destructive payoff. Uh, and then fourth is because Satan discourages our efforts to change. I mean, let's face it. He's here every day. Every day I wake up, he offers me you know, tons of opportunity to relapse and to go back to the life that I used to live. And I have to choose every day to pick up my cross and follow Christ. That's not an easy process. You know, that's very challenging. You know, it can be a bitter, jagged sp- pill to swallow sometimes, you know, but it's necessary. Uh, It gives us some scriptures about how um, Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. It's pulling those scriptures. I think Jesus is the one that said those things, uh, that there's no truth found in him, but that uh, when you seek him, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So uh, I always lean into the idea uh, in the scripture that says, when you resist the enemy, he will flee. So I, I, re- I resist, man. You know, I mean, if, if we're both standing in a doorway and I want to get through that doorway and you're trying to stop me from going through that doorway, I'm going to resist you and it's going to be a fight you know and that's the same approach we have to take to resisting the temptations of the enemy and resisting the lies he tries to plant in our mind like i'm really not that bad this really isn't that big a deal you know i deserve to have a little bit of fun i'm not really out of control i'm not that bad you know all that kind of stuff are, are just webs of lies that he tells people who are stuck in denial and refuse to admit and and start walking toward freedom, but admit that they have a problem. And, hey, it's time to try and get things straight. And it's not always a chemical thing. I know I'm using some chemical examples here, but, you know, I've seen anger and codependency, you know, things like that jack up people's families every bit as much as heroin, you know, cocaine, alcohol, you know, methamphetamines, you know, all that. I mean – it's all toxic. It all comes from the same place. And when you dig to the core, which is what we're doing here, when you dig to the core of those problems, you find that these are the things that are getting in the way of that. So how do we cooperate with God's change process? That's the next section here. Uh, And I have highlighted, if we want to change our lives, we have to allow God to renew the way we think. That goes along with what I was just saying about, you know, Not listening to those lies of the enemy. Our thoughts determine our feelings and our feelings determine our actions. That is a massive Herculean sentence. Let me read it again. Our thoughts determine our feelings and our feelings determine our actions. What you are thinking is what you will become. And I'll come back to that when we get to Sabrina's testimony because she talks about that as well. So it lays out, uh, this is where I believe we lay out these seven principles of, uh, cooperating with God in the process of change. Number one, focus on, uh, changing one defect at a time. Uh, you'll hear guys inside of recovery say things like easy. Does it one step at a time, one day at a time, slow down. So you can go faster. You know, those are all things that support this principle of doing this one, one defect at a time, a big mistake that guys make. And I I mean, I, I know guys that, That are continuing to make this mistake. They're trying to change everything at once. They're trying to quit drinking. They're trying to quit drugging. They're trying to quit running women. They're trying to quit smoking. They're trying to quit drinking too much coffee. They're trying not to be a workaholic. They're trying to start an exercise regimen. They're trying to connect with new small groups. they are trying to do everything all at one time. And that can easily be a formula for disaster because what you do is you just overwhelm yourself. What I always say is when you do your first inventory, list the, the top three things that are jacking up your groove more than anything else. Start there get with your sponsor, and start working through behavior modification, get in the Word, and let's apply some scripture to these things, and let's get you connected with a support group, let's get get a plan in place of success to keep you busy, and keep you out of an isolated idle mind kind of mindset, and let's step this out one step at a time. My guys get tired of hearing me say this all the time, because I say it almost every day to somebody in the program. Slow down. You're trying to do too much too fast. Slow down. Focus on your next step. Don't focus on the Mount Everest a mile down the road you know you're going to have to climb to get where you you think you want to go because at this point, you really don't know where you're going. You're just going towards sobriety. God is going to—the Bible says that man has plans, but God guides its steps. It's God's plan that you're achieving or you're, you're trying to achieve. So it's you have to walk that out in faith. Stop worrying about all of the infrastructure that is involved in your change. Just worry about your next right decision. Worry about what your next step looks like. Where do I go next? Because if you get focused on the hills you have to climb down the road, you'll never get anywhere because you'll just get discouraged. So that that's what that's talking about. Number two, focus on victory one day at a time. Again, take it easy. Give yourself some some credit for the times you get it right. Because what I discover in my own life and with, you know, some of the guys that I counsel is that our self-talk is just absolutely toxic. It really is. You know, we have to focus on victory one day at a time. We have to give ourselves credit when we get things right. Um, even, even in the Lord's Prayer, it says, give us today our daily bread. It didn't say give us the groceries for the week. It didn't say supply us our, our food for the rest of the month. It says for today. Another scripture says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Live in today. Be anxious in nothing through prayer and supplication. We make our needs known to God. Starting to see a pattern form here? We're supposed to live in today. I have uh, highlighted here, God gives you enough strength to change for one day. He takes care of you one day at a time as you put your trust in him. That's all it takes, one day at a time, guys, one day at a time. Each night, thank God for whatever change or victory he has worked in your life, no matter how small. You have to give yourself credit for when you get it right. And don't let the enemy come rushing in and rob you of your glory. Yeah, you know, when you get it right, it's okay to take credit. You're not being an arrogant jerk. You're giving yourself some credit. You're learning to love yourself again. That's part of that process. Number three, focus on God's power, not your willpower. Um, this is a this is a big one, man, because guys come into recovery programs and this this really well, I was gonna say it it really applies to chemical guys, but it really applies for everybody. You know, they come in, they want to get a quick fix. They want to learn a handful of truth, they get a little spark of you know freedom, and then they go running out the door and you don't see them again for six or eight months, and then they're back and they're ten times worse the next time you see them than what they were the first time. Again, slow down. This is not an overnight sensation. You did not get to where you are overnight, you're not getting out of where you are overnight, and you can't do it in your own willpower. That's the difference between Celebrate Recovery and secular programs. Now, I know a lot of secular programs point toward spirituality as a strength. Some point toward Christianity, depending on what type of group you're in, depending on what type of sponsor you have. There's a lot of Bible believing, Jesus loving people in AA, NA, you know, all those, you know, secular groups. I'm not taking anything away from that. Celebrate Recovery, on the other hand, is specifically designed and structured around biblical scripture. So there's there's a difference there. When you try to do this by your own willpower, your power is wouldn't feel, feel a thimble to God's power working in your life. This always made really good sense to me because I know that I, I don't have a lot of power. I know that my willpower is not that great. So I really do need to be stepping these things out and working these things out through God's power. Depending on your own strength will actually block your recovery is something that I have um, highlighted here. It gives an illustration of how 80% of people who make New Year's resolutions don't follow through with them. I think that's uh, big time stuff. The next uh, four focus on the good things and not the bad. The Bible says, fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right. Think about things that are pure. Think about all you can uh, do to praise the Lord and to be glad about it. Again, this is about controlling our thought life. You know, where is our focus? That's, that's something I ask myself on a daily basis. Where is my focus? Is my focus on biblical principles? Is my focus on God? And it's super easy to get out of focus because the enemy never stops trying to distort our lens. He never stops trying to defer our faith. He never stops trying to pollute our, our thinking with toxic thinking. We have to take—the Bible even gives, a, gives us a scripture that talks about taking our thoughts captive, imprisoning them, and weighing them against against God's Word. And if it lines up, then we receive it. If it doesn't, then we cast it down, and we keep moving forward. You know, that, that's how we have to control, you know, our focus. So we need to focus on the good things in our lives— you know, for me, when I got into recovery, I had I had to start making some real gut level changes. I, I stopped watching things on TV that I think were not bringing anything positive into my life. I used to be a very, very deep and dedicated um, horror movie junkie. You know, loved it, absolutely loved it. it was a wall into the zombie culture, all that kind of stuff. It all just seemed like hokey fantasy stuff to me. You know, I never really took the demonic side or the demonic influence in that stuff seriously. You know, I just felt like, you know, the people who are who are creating zombies in Hollywood are the modern day Picassos, you know? I mean, there's a there's a there's an art form to all that that I always respected and found interesting. And then uh, I started to really struggle with some PTSD issues in my life from past trauma that I had been through. And God showed me that, you know, polluting my mind with these gory movies and this this horrible, you know, death filled dialogue and some of this stuff was not helping my situation. So I just I just made some like hardcore changes in all that. You know, if if that doesn't work for you, that's between you and God. I'm just telling you how it worked for me. You know, I had to make some serious changes and I, I'm very I'm very cautious about what I allow myself to watch in in terms of violence these days, you know, because I, I just don't want to fill my head of that stuff. So I need to be focused on the good things, you know. I And I have shared my, you know, daily, weekly study routine online before and stuff like that. And um, I, I'm very dedicated to feeding myself the word on a daily basis. I, on a regular basis, a, a, a conservative estimate would be, I probably listen to at least four or six sermons a day, because i'm a podcasting junkie so i listen to a lot of, of sermons monday and tuesdays are great because all the sunday sermons are up on the podcasting channels and that sort of stuff love that um i am always in the middle of two or three christian books uh, some secular books you know some non-biblical books that are bringing uh, light to biblical matters um you know, I try to stay in a constant state of prayer to the best of my ability. You know, I'm not saying that I knock it stuff out of the park every day. There's some days where I just cocoon myself in in Christian podcasting, and, and I have the, the Bible and several different translations uh, in audio form. I spend a lot of time on the road in the music business and that sort of thing, so I listen to a lot of audio books and a lot of podcasting and a lot of uh, the Bible on uh, audio you know, version, digital audio version. So that that's me, you know, living out this number four uh, principle here of uh, focus on the good things and not the bad. You kind of are what you eat spiritually. And if you feed yourself junk all the time, then don't be surprised when junk is what comes out. Especially if you're somebody who struggles with anxiety, you know, because anxiety can be triggered by all kinds of crazy stuff like that. And I am someone who struggles with anxiety, so I always try to uh, feed myself positive things. Number five, focus on doing good, not feeling good. Let me say that again. Focus on doing good, not feeling good. If you wait until you feel like changing, you'll never change. The enemy will make sure that you never feel like it. But if you'll go ahead and uh, do the right thing, your feelings will eventually catch up with you. It's always easier to act your way into the feeling than to feel your way into an action. There's another Herculean-sized sentence. Let me read it again. Uh, it's always easier to act your way into feeling than to feel your way into an action. You know, sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. We don't live by our feelings. The Bible clearly tells us that. And I really honestly try to distance myself from people who live their lives that way because it's not biblical. It doesn't really line up, you know, with uh, responsible living by any standard, biblical or non-biblical, Christian or non-Christian. You know, uh, we need to be thinking in a rational mind, not an emotional mind all the time. And if you're making decisions out of that emotional mind all the time, out of your feelings if you're making all your decisions out of your feelings well then you're not going to make the right decisions most of the time when you're making decisions out of what you know to be true based from biblical perspectives or even you know uh legal perspectives following the law and doing what you're supposed to be doing you know and and um you know, living out the responsibilities that is put before you as a mother or a father or an employee or a daughter or a son, uh, a mom, a dad, a grandparent, you know, all those things come with responsibilities. They don't always feel good when you're doing good. The hardest thing as a father, I had to do raising my daughters was doing the right thing when it when all I wanted to do was be their buddy. Well, you know, God called me to be their father, not their buddy. You know, they're adults now. Now I can be their buddy. But when they were kids, and especially through the teenage years, they needed a father. They didn't need a buddy. They needed someone to challenge them, challenge their thinking, and in some cases, put a foot in the rear end and tell them, no, you're not going to do this because it's not what what is healthy for you right now. Whether you understand that or not, it's not what's healthy for you right now. How many times does God do that with us? How many times does he bring people across our path to challenge us in that way? You know, are we receptive to that? Are we people who receive the people that God puts in our life? I can't tell you how many times, and this just like blows my mind. I see people fervently pray for God to help them. And then God sends someone into their life that just jacks them out in the left field somewhere and really knocks them out of their comfort zone. And the first thing they do is get mad at them and run from it and make them the bad guy when that person was God's messenger into your life trying to point you toward a healthier way of viewing your life. Just because it didn't feel good doesn't mean it wasn't true. If God can't challenge you, he can't grow you. Because if you think you have all your own answers, you're never going to get anywhere with any of this. You're just playing games. Let me just bust the bubble for you. You do not have your own answers. Okay? You don't. Neither did I. Shoot, man. There's sometimes I wonder if I got any answers now. I'm eight and a half years into this. September will be nine years I've been in Celebrate Recovery, working the program, putting my face to the dirt, and, you know, taking that jagged little pill, swallowing it, looking in the mirror, doing the hard work of peeling the layers of the onion all. None of that stuff was comfortable. None of that felt good. None of it made me feel warm and fuzzy. I can't tell you how many times I left Celebrate Recovery meetings or even my counseling meetings and just was in shell shock from the truth bombs that were going off in the room. Every one of them hitting the nerve. I needed that. and absolutely needed that. It's like building your immune system as a child. You know, when you let your kids go out and play in the yard and get dirty, they bring germs into their, their physical environment and their body builds an immunity to it. It builds a stronger immune system that way. It's the same way when God sends people into your life to like, kick you out of your comfort zone. I used to sit under the, the preaching of a, of, a, of a pastor that constantly taught about the importance of having enemies around you in your life, how they needed to be close to you, because they challenge everything you say, and they challenge everything you believe. And if you're going to you know, bring an opposing argument to the table, you're going to have to figure out why you believe what you believe, and why you do the things that you do. That's self-examination. That's inventory. That always brings good stuff to the table. Number six, focus on people who help, not hinder. Again, if you run with the dogs, you get the fleas. You know, Uh, the Bible says, don't be fooled. Bad friends ruin good habits. You know, you can't go down and hang out at the strip club if you're a sex addict and act like you're going to live in any kind of sobriety. It's not going to happen. You're just playing games. You're not going to go down to the bar with the boys and shoot darts and eat peanuts if you're an alcoholic. You may get away with it for three, four, five times, maybe six months or a year. Sooner or later, that temptation of that bottle is going to win. You can't stand at the tree of, the, 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 of knowledge of good and evil. Here again, I can't speak the language today for some reason. Eve stood at the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil and had a debate with Satan the serpent. When you go into those environments and you're doing that stuff, you're having that conversation with Satan. I promise you in your own power, you will lose that conversation every single time. The only way you overcome the enemy is through Christ. That's it. You can't overcome him on your own. You may get some form of freedom. If you discover the truth about yourself, yes, you will grow. But you'll never get peace of mind and you'll never be truly sober with peace and harmony operating in your life. At best, you may be a dry drunk. And that's someone who's not using the chemicals or being angry at their wife, but they're being angry at their neighbor and they're still a jerk because they never dug into the core issues of why they are who they are. So make sure you're surrounding yourself with people who can help promote healthy living and sobriety in your life and not hinder you. And the enemy will always send somebody across your path to try to trip you up and jack you up. So be careful of the, of the new people that come into your circle when you're trying to walk this stuff out. Number seven, focus on progress, not perfection. I can't, uh, I can't lean into this more, more, more and more every day. I can't lean into this enough, is what I'm trying to say. You know, this, this is, this is gigantic. Uh, Some of you may be thinking, I've been reading this book for a while now and I don't see a whole lot of change yet. Don't worry about it. It's progress, not perfection. Remember how I said, easy does it, one step at a time, slow down so you can go faster? This is where these principles are now playing out. Life change is a progress, it's a decision following, it's a decision followed by a process. Let me read that again. Life change is a process. It's a decision followed by a process. To the Philippians, the Apostle Paul said, with total confidence, I am sure that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ comes back again. You know what that says to me? God's work in you is not complete until Jesus returns. So that means you will spend the rest of your life continually peeling layers off the onion. Every time you overcome and get victory over one layer of the onion, it reveals another layer of the onion with new challenges and new things that you have to uh, keep chipping away at. Sometimes we're just that blunt rock and you're just chipping away at it until it starts looking like a sculpture. But I will promise you over time, your life will start to settle down. Your decision-making process will get healthier and will get better. You will start developing that track record of healthy decision-making that is the foundation of sobriety. Uh, You will find peace and harmony in your home. Uh, The dysfunctional drama and chaos that had circled your life for so long will slowly start dissipating and disappearing. The way you think about things, your reaction to things will start changing. You'll wake up one day and realize not everything requires a reaction. Some people are lost and going to be lost for a very long time. Not everyone's going to make it, guys. Not everyone's eyes are going to be opened because you have to want to be able to see clearly to see clearly. If you enjoy being blind and you have no desire to change, no matter how much wisdom you sow into that person's life, they're never going to you know, be freed of that bondage. To get free of any kind of bondage starts with a desire to want to be free. And I have people who come to me all the time. In fact, I just had someone from halfway across the country about two months ago contact me about someone who lives uh, local. And this person has been in and out of rehab. They're, they struggle with opiate addiction. And they were asking me you know, how I could help them and, and steer them in the right direction. And I immediately responded with a, a series of questions. And basically leading to the idea that if this person doesn't want to be sober, they're not going to be sober. You can't save them. They have to want to save themselves. They have to submit to the process. They have to submit to someone else. Humble themselves. Humble themselves. Set themselves aside, which is the hardest thing for anybody with addiction or compulsive behavior to do because we're all selfish control freaks. But you have to set all that aside, humble yourself, and submit yourself to a group of people who can see into your life in a rational manner and help steer you toward good decisions until you can get free from the things that are causing the dysfunction in your life and start making good decisions on your own. So that means putting your life in someone else's hands. The Bible says when we confess our sins to God, he forgives us. But when James 5, 16, it says if we confess our sins to each other, he heals us. So we are built for connection. Addicts are always the loners. At at best, they'll have a girlfriend or a boyfriend that is their partner in crime. But then they will isolate away from everyone else. Because when you're isolated, that's when the enemy can control you. When you're connected to other people, then there's this iron sharpening iron process that happens where you're sharpening each other because you're rubbing against each other spiritually and God is making you both better people. That's not an easy process. And what I ended up having to tell this this person was, it sounds to me like they're still playing games. You know, they, they want recovery. I've never met anyone struggling with addiction that didn't say, I want to be sober every one of them said, I want to be sober. They will not argue with that. They have learned, especially if they're like this guy and they have been in and out of rehab several times, they've learned how to speak the recovery language. That doesn't mean that they have any application of it in their life. Wisdom without application is useless. And that's what is so awesome about this chapter that is talking about putting the change rubber to the road. Um, At the end of each one of these chapters is a couple testimonies. Uh, This week's testimony from Sabrina really spoke to my heart. This is someone who grew up, I believe her father was an alcoholic. She grew up in a very dysfunctional family. She ended up becoming a sex addict and someone who struggled hardcore with um, codependency and control issues. And uh, she kind of learned to use her sexuality to get attention and to... um, you know get validation from people but kind of felt dirty in the process because that's kind of how it works uh so i want to read just a couple small excerpts from her story guys i cannot express how important it is to just get on amazon and buy this book it's like 10 bucks there's a paperback version of it now life's healing choices by john baker some of these testimonies speak so deeply to me. I had to read some of this stuff like six or eight times. I've been through this lesson this week about five or six times. I mean, this lesson really hit home with me, and it really gave me some answers I've been looking for. And I've been through this this, this material many times. It's the first time I've been through Life Sealing Choices, but I've been through the nine-month-long Journey Begin Step Study course several times, like four or five times. Taught it three or four times, you know? Um, and for whatever reason, God is choosing to peel a different layer of the onion off this time. And this stuff really spoke to me. So she's talking, my behavior patterns no longer protected me. Um, her behavior patterns was her acting out, her being codependent, trying to control people, uh, trying to control her family or kids. Instead, they damaged me in my relationships. Yes, many others had contributed to my pain, but contrary to what I believed, I had choices. So it comes back to that choices thing. And then she goes on to talk. In recovery, I realized that I was just as selfish as the boys in high school who used me or my husband who controlled me or lashed out at me in anger. I was using them as much as they were using me. In my denial, I believe they were selfish and I wasn't. Because that's what denial does. It blocks us from our emotions. It blocks us from seeing the truth. So in this case, her denial was telling her that they were being selfish by using her and that she wasn't, that she was a victim. She's playing the victim role here. But then God's going to do something, so pay attention. But just like anyone else with an addiction or compulsion, I did these behaviors hoping I would feel better and I would be happy. I was trying to get from them something I didn't have inside myself. Something they didn't have the power to give me. The knowledge that I mattered. That blew me completely out of the water. So she used sex. She used codependency. you know, She used her, her controlling demeanor and things like that to try and get someone to validate her and, and to show her that she mattered. She said, as long as I believed I didn't matter... I wouldn't matter. I even enabled others to believe the same. I chose to allow their selfishness because of my own selfishness. So what she realized was she may she may have let these boys in high school have their way with her, but she was only doing that because she was trying to get something from them. She was trying to get this feeling, this knowledge that she mattered. Man, that really speaks to me in, in my personal life. There's so many things and so many mistakes that I've made in my adult life that was that was me doing this. It was me trying to get someone to love me unconditionally, trying to get someone to validate me, someone to hear my voice, you know, someone to make me feel like I mattered. But as long as I believed that I didn't matter, I was never gonna matter to anybody else. See, this is the foundation of learning how to love yourself again. And then the icing on the cake that is just so sick and demented is that I was enabling others to believe that I didn't matter too. I would openly share my insecurities with people who had no way of digesting that. All it did was make me look like somebody who didn't matter. I'm still trying to learn that because I'm someone who kind of carries my emotions on my sleeve. I'm kind of an open book. I'm transparent to a fault. And God is slowly teaching me that, you know what, I need to keep my mouth shut sometimes. And I need to be aware of the people who are standing around me because not everybody's going to get what I'm trying to throw. They're not going to catch what I'm trying to throw. All they're going to do is see someone who's crying out for help. when I'm not really crying out for help at all. I'm just saying, here's some things that I'm struggling with and I really don't know what to do with it. I got all this baggage and I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to sort it all out. Well, she's saying the same thing here. She goes, I was trying to get from these guys something that I didn't have myself or something that they didn't have the power to give me the knowledge that I mattered. And as long as I believed I didn't matter, they were never going to believe that I mattered either. I don't know about you, but that really speaks volumes to me. Uh, She goes on to say, As I have learned to accept myself and my choices, my wall has slowly, very slowly, come down. I have learned to trust others, especially, and most importantly, my husband. Her husband was very, uh, I don't know if he's necessarily violent, but he had a, a violent temper you know, and was very controlling, kind of narcissistic, you know. She was able to forgive him through this process. Um, This became possible because first, I trusted God. No one has to be my savior anymore because Jesus is. See, guys, when we go to God and we get this validation through the scriptures of who God says we are, this is why the truth of understanding God, his identity, and how he views us is so important. You can't get by in this world just discovering the truth about yourself. You have to have this truth as well. And that's what she is alluding to here in in what she's saying, is that she had to get, she had to recognize that the only person that was ever going to save her who had already saved her was Jesus. The only person that was ever going to give her the knowledge that she mattered was God through Christ. She said, second, I learned to trust myself. I learned that sacrifice isn't saying yes out of shame, guilt, or compulsion to make others happy when I really want to say no. And that kind of goes goes forward here at the end of her testimony. Um, she talks about Matthew 5:37, which simply says, um, let your yes be yes and your no be yo- no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Let me read that again. Let your yes be yes And your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I always looked at this like people who just don't say yes or no are like con men. They're trying to con you into something you don't need. Or, you know, they're trying to get something from you. Or people who just are chronic excuse people. Like they just make excuses all the time. But no, that's not not what she's saying here. She's bringing a different angle to this scripture. What she's saying is when you tell somebody yes, when you really want to say no you're acting out of a destructive habit that is called codependency because you feel obligated to help that person. When you're not being a jerk by saying no, you're just respecting some boundaries that you put in your life. So when you act out, when you say yes and you really feel no, that is coming from the evil one. That's the second part of that scripture. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. That is Satan's plan to get you jacked up and lost inside of codependency. Codependency, let me define that because a lot of people are kind of in a gray area about this. Codependency is when you give up everything in your life to help somebody else chronically to a point to where you have no peace or harmony in your life. Or when you feel the need to control people around you, specifically family and close friends, because you're trying to save them from their own poor decisions. That's codependency. Um, Pleaser people tend to be codependency. Uh, People who call themselves suck-ups tend to be codependent. You know, and they're people who find security in being able to control the environment around them. When the, when the truth of the matter is, they really have no control of the environment around them. And the second they start understanding that and start leaning into God to protect them and to give them that sense of security is the beginning of them getting free of codependency. Uh, codependency is a whole nother podcast. In a nutshell, good, healthy boundaries— And learning to love yourself and respect yourself is the key to getting free from codependency. Guys, that's the lesson this week. Thank you for listening. Catch you next week when we get into principle six. Be blessed. If you have found value in this podcast or if it has blessed you in any way, can I ask a couple things from you real quick? Please rate and review this podcast in whatever format you listen to it on, especially if you use Google or Apple podcasting app. Also, could I ask you to please donate to this ministry? Uh, We need your financial support. We are not sponsored by any church or religious denomination, nor do we have any corporate sponsors. Uh, We are totally independent and dependent on our listeners to make this ministry resource possible. Please consider giving to this ministry. I'll be sure to post links and information on how to give in the description of this podcast. And finally, and most importantly, we need your prayers for guidance and protection from the people who look to silence voices like ours. Pray for God's favor in the eyes of our enemies and grace in our hearts toward them. Pray that God uses this podcast to speak into the lives of those struggling with addiction and ministers to the hearts of the hurting. We need your prayers covering this ministry so we can be effective ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. thanks for listening to this podcast. My prayer is that it blessed you and brought you a fresh understanding of our lives in this world and our need for unity in Christ. A brush fire of revival in Jesus Christ is our only hope for satisfaction and true joy as we walk out the human experience that is our day-to-day lives. It's been my sincere honor to be your host today at the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. Be blessed and be a blessing to those around you. Till next time, I leave you with a scripture from Ephesians 6, 23 and 24. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. And may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs)